The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow you. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself if you dare. Come inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. We have two stories for you this evening. Our first, a tale of mind over matter. So relax. Close your eyes. Listen closely. I give you... The Day Hypnotism Died by Kevin David Anderson. I didn't believe in them. Most people don't. We chalk it up to mentalist bunk, sleight of hand for the unconscious, only effective on the weak or feeble-minded. But disbelief can dissolve in the span of a moment when evidence to the contrary rips your friends away in a cacophony of blood and screaming. This is about just such a moment, one in which I met the greatest living hypnotist in the world. It was also the moment that I lost three good friends, for reasons that I still don't understand. I'm not sure anyone does. So, Runt, what's this great idea you have? I said, as the evening began, the four of us strolling toward the boardwalk. We were four nerdy, dateless high school seniors looking for action, or as close as we could get to it. Stop calling me that, James, the smallest of us said, pushing up his glasses. Russell slapped a beefy hand on my back and I felt his enormous girth and the friendly thump. Yeah, Craig, stop calling Runt that. He chuckled, always laughing at his own comments, thinking himself to be the next... whatever. 
James stopped and turned around, glaring. Look, I hate it when Coach Hansen calls me that, and I sure as hell don't like it when my friends do it. James had been called Runt since before I met him, so it was always a little surprising when he got pissed about it. Sorry, I said, gesturing to myself, shrugging. I'm an ass. James continued glaring, his face turning pink. Sorry, I repeated. No, seriously. Sighing, I took a step toward him, holding my arms wide. Hug. A smile moved over James's face. Why don't you just go blow an orc? I heard Russell and Alan laugh as I dropped my arms. Alan, taller than all of us, stepped forward. Okay, now that you ladies have bears your feelings, he looked at James. What's this great idea? James reached into his back pocket, producing a flyer. It looked old, like some pirate's treasure map. Charred edges and faded black ink. It was all for show, but it was still intriguing. He held it out so we can all read it. One night only. The greatest hypnotist in the world. South end of the fun zone. The fun zone? I said. James met my eyes. I forgot you're a noob. It's this carnival that comes to the boardwalk every spring break, Russell said. I nodded. Is any good? No, James said. Mostly kitty crap, but this hypnotist thing sounds like just a place for hip guys like us to make an appearance. I smiled. If we were hip, we'd probably have dates. Dates, Alan said. We're keeping our options open. Yeah, options open, right. I nodded. Alrighty, runt. Oh, I mean James. Please lead on. We strolled through the fun zone, stopping only to lose some coin at the carnival games, none of us coming close to winning anything. At the south end, we saw a modest circus tent set far enough apart to make me think it wasn't associated with the carnival. Sheesh, look at that line, Alan said. Hey, does that say admission 15 bucks? Russell pointed a thick finger ahead. That is steep, I said. James faced us. Come on, you tight wads. What else do you have to spend it on? Girlfriends? All I'm saying is it better be a good show, Russell said as we stepped in line. By the time we made it inside, there were no seats left. People stood along the tent walls, looking impatient. At the side of the stage... I saw a slender, red-headed woman wearing a shimmering spandex outfit and carrying more folded chairs than she could possibly handle. I didn't hesitate. You all, follow me. My friends fell in line, and we were in good position when she began unfolding the chairs on the left side of the stage. Russell helped her place the last few, and we took our seats. She smiled at him, saying, Danka. Russell leaned over. What the hell she just say? My high school German had finally come in handy. She said thank you. You think German women like big guys? Russell patted his belly. I was about to say, not a chance in hell, when the light suddenly dimmed. 
A yellowish spotlight flickered to life, dousing the stage in a sickly hue. Stepping into the light, from where I couldn't actually tell, was a tall man dressed in a white tuxedo. His face was largely unremarkable. The kind you would forget only moments after looking away. Even today, I can't recall a single identifying feature. The only thing that lingers with me is that he seemed wrong for the moment. I got the sense that he shouldn't really be there. Not with us, anyway. Like a Anne Rice character, he seemed like someone merely passing through this century. Without a word or facial expression, the man began to conduct a symphony of magic tricks. Mostly boring, stupid stuff. Rabbits out of hats, interlocking rings, and a particularly lousy sleight-of-hand card trick. Even the music was cheesy. It sounded like there was an organ grinder backstage, turning the crank without any real sense of rhythm. I have expected a monkey in a fez and matching vest to start working the crowd for pocket change. After each trick, there was some polite applause, but most just groaned. Yo, dude, if this shit keeps up, I'm gonna murder Runt, Russell whispered in my ear. Right after we get our money back, I said. Suddenly, the hypnotist bowed, still not having said a word, and the stage went dark. There was a smattering of uneasy applause, the kind you might expect after a really awful karaoke performance. In the dim light, we all glared at James. Our diminutive friend seemed to shrivel even smaller under our collective, disapproving glare. The spotlight returned with a suddenness that made me gasp. This time, it was deep crimson, and the redhead from before stepped inside. She brought her hands up to her midsection, interlocking them like a ballerina, and began to speak. Her words seemed purposely slow, seemingly aware that her accent was cumbersome to understand. You may have heard that hypnotism is the power of suggestion, allowing subjects to believe that others cannot perceive. Many things claimed with this kind of power, sideshow frauds, preying on willing minds and degrading the art, offending the true masters. She paused long enough for a few murmurs to bubble up from the audience and then continued. What you will see tonight is real hypnotism, not the usual kind of a freak show that you have all come to expect. On this stage, the wall separating perception from reality will become transparent, and you will see as the hypnotist sees. Fantasy and belief will become one, and as a final act, before becoming part of the hallowed ages, my meister will remove the wall between what one's thought and what can only be imagined. This evening is the final performance of the last living true meister, and it should be remembered as the night that hypnotism died. What the hell? Russell whispered. Yeah, I was a little on the dramatic side, I said. 
The lights came up over the audience and the woman looked out onto the crowd, her expression suddenly pleasant, as if she was a hostess at a dinner party and she had just noticed the other guests. Now for those of you that wish to become a part of the performance that will be talked about for many a century to come, please join me, she said, gesturing to the stage. A thin brunette woman stood up in the front row and the redhead waved her up. Several others stood, moving toward the stage. Then, to my amazement, James stood up. He must have thought that whatever was going to happen to him on stage was less severe than what we were thinking about doing to him for dragging us in here. And then Russell stood up, his wide hips bumping my shoulder. Dude, what are you doing? I said. Russell shrugged. Just thought I'd get a closer look at the hypnotist's assistant. Our two friends walked up on stage as Alan and I stared at each other across two empty chairs. He tilted his head. You chicken or something? I narrowed my eyes. I will if you will. I rocked forward, looking as if I was about to stand up. Alan jumped to his feet. Sucker. I sat back in my chair, arms folded. He glared at me, shoulders slumped. You suck. The redhead waved at Alan to join the others on stage. He shot me one last disapproving leer as he walked toward the spotlight. I glanced up at my three friends, feeling very pleased with myself indeed. They stood side by side with five other volunteers, all looking anxious and excited. Russell motioned at me to join them on stage. I just shook my head, grinning. Alan cupped his hands around his lips and mouthed the words, Wussy... At least I think that was what he said. I silently mouthed in return, Bite me. The hypnotist appeared on stage, and again I didn't notice from where. For whatever reason, his assistant did most of the talking. She asked the volunteers to focus on the hypnotist's index finger, which he raised and held out at arm's length. Without a word, he lowered and raised it over and over again. He did this for at least a full minute, and I could feel the crowd growing restless. The thin brunette even started to giggle, but the redhead assistant gave her a harsh glare and she immediately stopped. After another grueling minute of this, the hypnotist lowered his hand, and as his hand descended, so did the eyelids of the volunteers. All of them. By the time the man's hand was at his side, my friend's heads were all slumped onto one shoulder. My jaw dropped. There were chortles from the crowd. Not the type spawned from a humorous situation, but the kind emitted from a large group of people that are collectively a bit unsure how to react. The redhead looked out over the crowd, holding a finger to her smiling lips. They sleep now. Her voice was an intense whisper. No shit. I shifted in my seat. Excitement, concern... Fear, anticipation, all coursing through my body at once. I was already imagining telling the story to everyone I knew, even though the people I knew and would most likely tell were all up on stage. The hypnotist turned to face the crowd, making a brief gesture, like a man tipping his hat to an elegant lady he chances on the street. Then, 
With the commanding presence of a conductor, he turned his face to his subjects, instruments ready to be played. He snapped his fingers and the volunteers all awoke, their eyelids fluttering like window shades. Laughter rose from the crowd as the volunteers yawned, some even stretched as if waking up from a long sleep. Alan looked at me, yawning. He shrugged his shoulders as if to say, What just happened? I just returned with a grin, nodding. The crowd quieted and my attention again fell upon the hypnotist. With poised strides, he moved over to the right of the stage, standing in front of a volunteer furthest in line from my friends. The volunteer, a man in his mid-forties, smiled as the hypnotist gazed into his eyes. I could tell the man was very uncomfortable with this. He seemed to arc backward, like a weed bending in a strong wind. The hypnotist moved in, their noses coming close to touching. He stayed there for a moment, a voyeur peeking into a window. The volunteer gazed back, his eyes never blinking. The crowd fell silent, and when the hypnotist finally pulled back to speak a single word, it resonated to all four corners of the tent. Without any hint of an accent, he said, Spider. The volunteer's eyes slammed shut and he dropped to the floor with a thud. His round belly lay flat on the stage as his arms and legs began to splay outward, grasping for something. Then his hands and feet gripped the stage and he pulled himself up, rising slowly like a predator searching through the grass for its next meal. His head sunk into his shoulders, and his neck just seemed to have retracted inside of his body. It was horribly uncomfortable to look at, and the crowd gasped, myself included. I could hear people behind me murmur to one another, Jeez, that's incredible. How did he... Knees don't bend that way. It's just a show. The volunteers are all plants. The redhead raised her hands, attempting to quiet the crowd. The rumblings stifled a bit but continued. Then, the man on all fours started to rotate and the crowd fell still. Soon, his rear end pointed at the audience, and after a brief hesitation, he started to crawl. A genuine shiver scaled my spine as I watched him scurry across the stage. It wasn't with the motion of a being using four legs, but with the dexterity of a creature using eight. The four limbs I could see moved in tandem with four unseen limbs, and although they remained invisible, I had no doubt that they were there. The back of the stage, shrouded in shadow, appeared to be the man's destination, and my throat went dry as he crawled to the safety of the dark. He spun around, sinking into the blackness, just his head visibly bobbing up and down about a foot off the stage. His pupils, now black, glinted in the stage lights. I could feel the man's humanity slipping away as he looked back at the crowd, no longer recognizing us. The audience was no longer seeing a man. Stunned applause rose from the crowd, but the hypnotist did not stop to acknowledge this. He stepped over, standing in front of the next volunteer, a thin brunette woman, after a similar preamble, the hypnotist said, Chicken.
the woman's eyes fell shut and she hunched slightly. When they opened, her head started darting forward, her arms curled up on her sides, flapping. The hypnotist removed a handful of chicken feet from his pocket, holding it out in front of her. The woman's head darted forward, pecking at the pile in his hand. The crowd again broke out into reserved applause. The hypnotist let the feed fall to the floor, and he slapped his hands together. The woman fell to her knees, pecking at the food on the stage, as the hypnotist took a moment to glance back at the crowd. Although there was no expression on his face, I got the distinct impression that he despised us. Maybe it was in his eyes. But in that brief moment, I felt absolute loathing coming off of him. He turned to the next volunteer as his assistant brought out a large wicker basket. The assistant gestured for the volunteer to step into it, which he did, smiling strangely, as if it were something he did every day. The hypnotist peered into the man's eyes and said, King Cobra. The volunteer dropped into the basket, disappearing from view. A moment later, he began to rise, but not as a man would stand up. It was more like a snake ascending to the tune of a snake charmer. The hypnotist took a noticeable quick step backwards, as if he wanted to stay out of striking range. There was some applause, lacking enthusiasm and growing more uneasy. My own hands lay still in my lap, unable to move. The hypnotist gave a nod to his assistant. She stepped behind the basket, its lid in her hand, and raised it over the volunteer's head. In a quick motion, she pushed the lid down, forcing the volunteer back into the basket. She wedged it in tight, then glanced at the hypnotist, who had already moved on. The next volunteer became a weasel who immediately arched his body into an unsavory position and began grooming a very long tail, seen only by himself. The hypnotist next did this thing with a petite woman, who, believing herself a gazelle, leapt off the stage, bounded down the main aisle and out the entrance. A man in the crowd, a husband or boyfriend, jumped to his feet and ran out, calling after her. I looked up at my friends, who all waited patiently as if standing in line at a public restroom. I waved at them, getting their attention. They looked down at me, perplexed, seemingly unaware of the other volunteers' metamorphosis. I motioned them to get off the stage, and before I knew it, I was on my feet, heart pounding, my gestures growing frantic and fearful. Popcorn hit me in the back, and I heard someone say, Sit down! Another volley of popcorn and something sticky hit my head. So, I slowly lowered back into my seat. The hypnotist stood in front of Alan, looking him up and down. He gazed into my friend's eyes and said, Monkey. Alan, suddenly, dropped into a squatted position, his legs tucking under his body, shrinking. He rocked forward on his knuckles, and his tongue shot out over his lips. The hypnotist patted him on the head then pointed to a thick wooded post that held up the tent's roof. Alan, 
furrowing a simian brow, then jumped off the stage, his butt inches above the ground. When he reached the post, he leapt up and his sandals fell off his feet. I held my breath as I watched him climb the pole like someone positively born to it. When he neared the ceiling, he stopped, looking down. The hypnotist produced a banana from his pocket and threw it up. Alan, and I swear to God, caught it with his foot. His goddamn foot. I could hear the audience applauding, but it was like distant background noise. The soundtrack to a movie I wish I wasn't watching. The hypnotist turned to Russell. My friend's huge frame towered over the hypnotist, but it cast no illusion about who was in control. The hypnotist leaned forward and said, Mouse. Russell dropped to the floor. I could feel the thud reverberate under my chair. His near 300-pound body seemed to shrivel, limbs retracting, fingers curling into paws. He looked at me with no recognition, nose twitching with unseen whiskers. Russell's beady eyes scanned the crowd, and it looked as if he were about to run. But just then, the assistant placed a large, clear plastic bowl face down on top of Russell's head, and Russell froze. Laughter began to dribble up from the audience as we started to realize Russell believed himself trapped inside the bowl. Russell sniffed at the wall of his prison as the crowd clapped. The hypnotist stepped in front of James, gazing deep. James cocked his head a little, as if he might be in pain, but then straightened. I think I know what a runt like you wants to be, the hypnotist said. It was the only sentence I heard him say. He took several steps back, giving James a large berth, and he said, Elephant. James's head slumped forward, as if the weight of a trunk pulled it down, and he landed on all fours. The stage shook, and I could hear wood cracking. He thrashed his head from side to side, and I felt a breeze, almost as if a large set of ears were moving the air like enormous fans. James raised his head upward and bellowed so loud I had to cover my ears. The crowd went silent. Near James's feet, the woman, believing herself a chicken, pecked at the seeds on the stage. James stepped back, looking irritated, and brought his head up high again. I thought he was going to make that awful, inhuman sound, but in the soft tent light filtering through the dust that wafted up from the stage, I saw an outline extending from James's face. Like an apparition, it hung there, thick, long, ghostly. Although I immediately recognized what it was, I still didn't believe it. It was a trunk. An elephant's trunk. James swung it downward in a horrific arc, putting his whole head and upper body into the motion. It caught the woman pecking at the stage across the midsection, lifting her up and hurling her into the air. She crashed into the back curtain, causing the man, now a spider, 
to scurry out of the darkness. I could hear screams behind me as I looked at the broken woman lying at the back of the stage. She wasn't moving. My eye caught the hypnotist as he stepped over to Russell, who was still trapped inside a bowl. People were knocking into me, toppling chairs, and I struggled to stay where I was. The hypnotist placed a hand on the top of the bowl on Russell's head and drummed his fingers. He looked out at the pandemonium and I saw it again. That look of absolute contempt in his eyes. With a quick movement, he lifted the bowl and Russell wasted no time. He darted forward, nose twitching, beady eyes scanning back and forth. Then... He seemed to catch sight of the man who believed himself a weasel and he froze. The weasel met the rodent's gaze and began to pounce. Russell retreated back towards James, the weasel in fast pursuit. The two began running around James in wide circles. James was getting upset and started rising up on his hind legs and stomping his front feet down, shaking the stage. I rushed forward, reaching out with the intention of grabbing Russell... But the mouse had scurried under one of James's front feet, just as it came down. The next thing I heard was a grotesque popping, like a watermelon in a trash compactor. The crushing sound was still echoing in my ear when James raised his foot, which had just reduced the midsection of Russell's enormous girth to the width of a pizza box. James continued to stomp, transforming Russell's head into a pulpy mass of gelatin. The stage began to sway, and I could hear metal tearing and wood splintering. Someone careened into my chest, spinning me around toward the tent's entrance, the only exit now clogged with bodies. Over the screaming, I could hear the canvas tearing as new exits were being created along the tent walls. Even though there seemed no point... James still brought his foot down on Russell's remains over and over again. Unable to endure the pounding, the stage collapsed with a crash so loud it momentarily drowned out the sounds of panic. The large wicker basket toppled into the seats, its lid rolling down the aisle. The man inside began to slither out. The collapsing of the stage had somehow calmed James, and I started moving towards him. I didn't know if I could snap him out of this, but I sure as hell was going to try. I approached him from the side, just outside of his peripheral vision. I was about to stretch out my hands, preparing to clasp his shoulders when I hit something. My face collided with a leathery but soft surface. I put my hands up, feeling the thick, wrinkled skin. I blinked my eyes, but... I could not see what my hands could feel. As my fingers slid over thick folds of warm flesh, I felt tiny, sporadic hairs bending beneath my palms. And as I brushed over them, their pale outlines began to flicker into view. I stared at my hands, caressing in the air, watching them rise up and down slowly. Looking through my fingers at James... I realized that my hands rose up and down as James breathed. My friend looked back at me, his head craning around as if it swiveled on a large neck. Indifference glinted in his eyes. He turned forward and started lumbering toward the center aisle. 
Something caught me hard on the side and I toppled back. Reflecting back, I can only imagine what struck me was James's unseen rear leg or hip as his elephant exterior moved by. I landed on the front row of chairs, my head cracking against a seat. Blood trickled into my eye as I pushed myself up. My first thought was to look for James, but something else above caught my attention. High up on the tent ceiling, a man defied gravity, moving like an arachnid, clinging to the canvas. His sunken black eyes gazed down, and I swear to God, it looked as if he were trying to spin a web. A banana peel landed on my head, and I heard Alan, still high above the seats, laugh like a chimpanzee. I slapped the peel from my scalp and looked down the aisle. What a chairs had been reduced to splinters under James's weight. I just caught sight of him as he moved out the exit, his unseen bulk catching in the opening's aluminum frame. The metal twisted, and the entire tent shifted in the direction James was moving. I thought it would come down around me, but then he broke free and the whole canvas room snapped back with a violent jolt. I hustled down the aisle, jumping over wreckage. When I reached the exit, I turned around looking back at the collapsed stage. I think I wanted to get one last look at the hypnotist. The man, or being, responsible for all this chaos try to remember his face, mark it in my mind, so I could identify him later. But he and his assistant were gone. The only thing I saw was a man, now free from his basket, coiling himself around the broken, still body of the woman James had hurled through the air. Running out of the tent, I tried to force the image from my mind of the man attempting to swallow the dead woman whole. James's trail wasn't hard to pick up. I just followed the crushed cars and injured people and screams. By the time I caught up to him, a county deputy was trying to block his path. The officer stood in the middle of the street, directly in front of James. People who had seen the destruction were yelling at him to move, but the young deputy stood his ground. Get out of the way! I screamed, running just behind James. I waved my arms to the side. Please, just move! The officer must have thought he was dealing with a drunk, but at the last second, he must have seen something because he went for his gun. The muzzle had just cleared the holster when James hit him. The deputy slammed to the ground, and I cringed at that familiar popping sound. He managed to scream, but... It was instantly muffled as a large foot crushed the deputy's head. I tried not to look as I stepped by, but my peripheral caught one of the man's legs, still twitching, glistening crimson in the downward glow of a street lamp. I followed my friend for several blocks, watching him careen into parked cars like a cornered animal. He seemed disoriented, frightened, but he never stopped moving. I tried talking to him, but there just wasn't enough human there to hear me. 
We both turned a corner and I saw a barricade of black and whites blocking our path. I could tell by the amount of weapons drawn that the cops were not interested in apprehending James. That boat had sailed when they lost one of their own. When he noticed the police line, James slowed for a few steps and then charged. I felt bullets cut through the air over my head before I heard them. I dropped to the ground, covering my face. When I finally looked up, James was on his knees, shots still tearing into him. I thought they would stop shooting after James lay still in the pavement, but it kept on for a while until a burly voice finally yelled, Cease fire! I envisioned myself running over to James, holding him in my arms to hear his final words like they do in the movies, but... When I started to get up, the same burly voice yelled, Don't move, asshole! Put your hands out where we can see them! Twenty minutes later, I was still wearing the handcuffs the owner of that burly voice, a Sheriff Kincaid, I believe, had slapped on my wrists. He questioned me in the back of the squad car, his large Stetson rubbing on the inside of the roof. How well did you know the deceased? Kincaid asked. He... He was my friend, I said. We, we called him Runt. That was just over a year ago. I did spend some time trying to track down that hypnotist. So did Sheriff Kincaid and a few private detectives hired by relatives of the nine confirmed victims from that night. At least three others are still missing. From their pictures in the paper... I recognize them as other volunteers. And after all this time, I'm pretty sure their families, at least if they knew what I knew, would prefer that they stay missing. One of the volunteers that isn't missing is my friend Alan. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but I can't bring myself to visit him anymore. He's been a resident of the Riverdale County Mental Institute since that night. I stopped driving up to see him shortly after hair started to sprout all over his body. Sheriff Kincaid said he looks like something stepped out of Planet of the Apes. Alan shares a floor at the sanitarium with a teenager who hunts rodents with the cunning of a weasel and a woman that leaps like a gazelle. I don't think the hypnotist's final performance will ever fade into the past for me. My nightmares keep it in the forefront of my mind, and every animal I see in the wake of day always has some human feature that makes me wonder. Today, I received a news clipping in the mail from Sheriff Kincaid. It described how he and his men were called when someone found a monster-sized cobra. It had been nesting under the boardwalk, feeding on cats, dogs, and some missing children, I think. How a cobra had managed to make it to the United States was still a mystery. But what concerned most were the strange appendages that ran along its underbelly. They were reported to resemble human fingers.
that, friends, is the power of suggestion. Our second story tonight comes to us across the airwaves from a dark and distant past. A time when the monsters in the night were very, very real. I give you The Voice on the Radio, written by H.K. Reyes. Happy birthday, kiddo. I looked at the huge, ugly, electronic monstrosity sitting in front of me, and I knew that the old man had finally gone senile. Wow, Grandpa, I said. I don't know what to say. Thanks so much for this, um, this great thing. You know, this, um... The old man stamped his foot on the floor, almost kicking loose his fuzzy slipper. God damn it, don't they teach you little bastards anything these days? It's a ham radio, kiddo. Just look at her. Ain't she a beaut? I picked up the big, bulky piece of equipment. It looked like a VCR had made it with a car stereo, and then given birth in a dumpster full of calculators. Oh, <laughs> She's, uh, she's something all right, I said. I used to have one of those when I was your age. Oh, well, radios are only that old, eh? Shut up, wise ass. He rubbed his bony hands together with childlike glee. I tell you, kiddo, I used to have all kinds of fun with machines like these. Come home from school, hop on, get the frequency tuned to the sweet spot. And all of a sudden, you're online with folks from across the state. Oh, hell, across the country even. And they're real conversations. None of this emojiing or, 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 or Facebook liking or snap-shooting. Or whatever the hell it is you kids are up to. Oh, hey, I, I happen to like snap-shooting, he continued. Unfortunately, these days, you're not allowed to get in the air without a license because of the god damn government but I'll let you use my old license and call sign so long as you promise never to say anything embarrassing on there Whiskey Delta 79 Echo's got a reputation to uphold oh I know I said everyone's always amazed when I tell them I'm Whiskey Delta Tanger Ray whatever's grandson they're starstruck even smart ass he grumbled your mother should have put you in military school when you had the chance uh, here just give me a hand setting it up he plugged a thing into a thing pressed some other thing and adjusted a thing on the front panel the radio had more buttons than an old timey switchboard and he lost me pretty soon after now this is how you turn it on but pretty soon he was on the air, scanning the frequencies for other ham broadcasters. This is Whiskey Delta 79 Echo, he said into the microphone, throwing giddy sideways glances in my direction. Here in Chester, calling CQ, CQ. Is anyone out there? A raspy, gruff voice came on the line. 
This is X-Ray Alpha 77 Zulu here in Fairview. I hear you loud and clear, buddy. The old man beamed. He grabbed my wrist to pull me close to the microphone. Copy that. I'm here with my grandson, giving him his first ham lesson. Well, say hello, kiddo. Uh, um... Hello, kiddo. I said into the mic. Grandpa huffed. He's a goddamn wise ass, but he's a good kid, he said. Uh, you're popping his ham cherry, eh? Ha, 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 The voice said, which made me feel a little sick. That's great. Kids today spend too much time on the goddamn internet. Not enough time learning how to master real communication. Let me tell you, when the big one comes and the electricity goes down, they all wish they had a reliable ham with them. That's right? Grandpa nodded. That's goddamn right. The gruff voice got a little louder. And the big one is coming. I can promise you that. With the way things are going with all these goddamn foreigners coming into the country, it's only a matter of time before one of them ends up being a terrorist and kicks it all off. Grandpa slapped his hand on his knee. Jog, got it finally, somebody with a little bit of sense. I felt a sick, sinking feeling in my gut. Um, Grandpa, I said. The gruff voice rose in pitch, nearly trembling with excitement. Let me tell you. Everything's going to go to hell in a handbasket if we can't do something about all the goddamn Muslims flooding into this country. I switched the radio off. Grandpa looked up at me, confused and irritated. What the hell'd you do that for? He said. That conversation was just about to get interesting. I wanted to tell him to fuck off back to the 1950s and take his stupid radio with him. But instead, I just took a deep breath and said, Grandpa, thank you so much for the present. Why don't we get some dinner? IHOP should give me free pancakes for my birthday. The twinkle came back into his eye. Now you're talking, kiddo. After dinner, I swung by my friend Samir's place to play some Battlefield when I came home and turned in early. Happy birthday to me, I thought. Ooh. Whatever. I have a bad habit of drinking too much soda before bed, and even though I was tired, I couldn't get to sleep. I fucked around on the internet for a little bit, cleared out all the happy birthday Facebook messages from relatives I never talked to. I was bored enough that I turned on the ham radio and started spinning the dial to see who was broadcasting. The country's falling apart because the goddamn globalists want to open up our borders to filthy foreigners and dilute our great heritage. Chemtrails are spewing out of the airplanes, dropping mind-controlling chemicals into the atmosphere to keep y'all docile and control. Maybe now that we got a real man in the White House and give those PC cucks in the liberal news media the ass-kicking they deserve. What the fuck? I whispered to myself. I turned the radio off. I made a mental note to box it up and shove it in the back of my closet the next day. I rolled over, closed my eyes, and finally started to doze off. 
I was just on the verge of sleep when I heard it. At first, I thought I was dreaming. I heard what sounded like a soft, gentle moan, droning like a cold wind and slowly rising in pitch. The sound sharpened until it became like a faint voice calling across a great distance. A voice that seemed to echo from all directions. It's like somebody calling in the middle of a dark wood. I blinked my eyes open. The room was totally silent. I listened for several seconds until I was sure that I had dreamed it. I rolled back over and I closed my eyes. The sound erupted and I shot up in bed. It was everywhere. A deafening hiss ringing out the darkness like a hungry crocodile breathing into my ear. I kicked myself back against the wall. My heart pounded. My eyes struggled to see in the dark. Who's there? I called. I realized the sound was coming from the radio. I flipped on the light. The radio was still off. And the display was totally dark. But the horrible, static hiss was coming from the speakers. An ugly sound crashing in waves. Beneath it all, I could hear a man's voice, faintly audible beneath the hiss. A distant voice, shouting with urgency. I flicked the radio's power switch on and off, but the sound didn't change. I grabbed the microphone. Who is this? I said. Stop it! The man's voice stopped. There was a pause. A fluctuation in the hiss. And then he called back more clearly. Hello? What the hell are you doing? I shouted into the microphone. I'm trying to sleep. Cut it out. Hello? 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 The hiss quieted a little. The voice came in clearer. The man sounded older. Hoarse. Almost out of breath. There was a tightness in his voice that made him sound fearful, even desperate. It sent a chill down my back to hear it. He said something in what sounded like German. What? I said. I... I can't understand you. I only speak English. He spoke again. His accent was thick and his speech was stuttery and halting. Please, I must ask you, when are you? W where am I? Um, I'm in Chester, about 40 miles outside Fairview. Nine, no. The hiss was rising again, overtaking the voice. When are you? What? What time? What year? I blinked at the radio. Is this guy crazy? I wondered. Or just fucking with me. What do you mean, what year? I said. It's 2016, dude. There was an excited flood of German that turned desperate when the hiss started drowning him out. Please. I must ask you. Please. Please wait. The hiss grew louder and louder. It drowned out the voice, filling the room. I had to cover my ears as it rose to a deafening crescendo. 
And then, suddenly, it cut out. Silence. I stared at the radio. My heart pounded and my skin prickled. A cold sweat broke out in the small of my back. I set the microphone down, got out of bed and yanked the radio's plug from the wall. Fuck this shit, I thought. The world doesn't need another outlet for creepers to do creepy shit. There's plenty of those already. I flicked off the light and finally went to sleep. What the fuck is this shit? Zamir said. I rolled my eyes and plopped down on my bed. Am radio, I said. Basically, it's shitty old school Skype for nutjobs and survivalists. Samir chuckled. He stuck his chubby face close to the radio and studied the front panel. Look at this thing. It's... It's like a prop from a 1950s UFO movie. Um, uh, commies from Planet X, or something similar. He twisted the dial and pressed buttons at random. Does it work? He said. I shrugged. I, I guess so, but it's just full of weirdos and conspiracy creeps. Everyone's like, the globalists are this, and the leftist media is that, and our glorious race, and blah, 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 the other. It's basically like a Breitbart comment section come to life. It really kind of sucks. Oh, God, that's hilarious, Samir grinned. I should fuck with them. Pretend I'm part of an evil immigrant sleeper cell to steal their jobs and impregnate their daughters. Maybe I can get them to permanently move their bomb shelters. He flicked the power switch on. When nothing happened, he looked behind the radio, found the plug, and plugged it back into the wall. Oh, man, I don't know, I said. Some of these people, they're... Seriously off their rockers. Samir powered on the radio and immediately a nasally sounding old man came on the air, his high-pitched voice tremoring with outrage. When God made America, he made it for Americans, God damn it. And if the goddamn illegals think they can take it from us, well, well then they've got another thing coming. I cringed. Zamir only laughed. Idiots like this have been crawling out of their sewers ever since Trump got elected, he said. The other day, I had this dude pull up next to me in this big red pickup. You know what he told me? We're going to send you back where you came from, terrorist. So I was like, bitch, I come from Milwaukee. Yeah, people suck, I said. Samir shook his head. No, most people are good people. No matter what way they voted, anyways. Only a few are total scumbags like this. I guess it only takes a few to do some real damage, though. He picked up the microphone and held it to his lips. He spoke in a thick, cartoonish Pakistani accent. Oh, yes. I hear you, brother. Very good, very good, very good. We must keep America great. Yes. The nasally old man went silent for a long moment. Who the hell is this? He said. I support what you are saying, my brother, Samir said, deepening the fake accent. The foreign scourge must be eradicated. Protect our purity. Yes. There was silence on the other end, and then the old man shouted. 
Get the hell off this channel, you foreign son of a bitch. When I find out who this is, I'm going to track you down and kick your goddamn ass. Yes, brother. Very good, very good. Keep fighting the good fight. He turned the tuner to another channel, and we both doubled over laughing. Oh, dude, I could have hours of fun with this thing, he said. Who else is on here? Well, the other night I was trying to sleep, and there was this one guy. Samir tuned into a new channel, and a strange hiss came from the speakers. A knot twisted in my stomach. I heard a frantic voice calling out. Hello? Hello? This guy, I said. This guy is a total psycho. Well, that's perfect. I love talking to psychos. Zamir picked up the microphone. Hello? Hello? The man was almost breathless with excitement. Please, do not go. I, I have performed many fixes to the machine. Uh, transmission very much better, yeah? Zamir giggled to himself. Now we've got a jolly old German on here. Oh my god, I've got to get me one of these stupid radios. He spoke into the microphone. Yes, you're good one here. Excellent sound. Bravo. Sprechen Sie Deutsch? Yeah, I'm Besson, Demir said. I gave him a look and he said, What, I've had a few semesters? I get the gist of it. They spoke a few sentences back and forth in German. What are you saying? I asked. Zamir sat back and shook his head. Well, this guy's a piece of work, all right. I asked him where he's located, and he said, Long ago, many years in your past. Well, when I talked to him, he wanted to know what year it was. <laughs> That's brilliant. He gets on here, pretends to be a time traveler to troll the survivalists. Probably puts the recordings up on YouTube to make fun of them, too. All right, well, ask him how he's communicating from the past. Samir spoke into the microphone. There was an excited float of German from the other end. What's he saying? I asked. I have no fucking idea. I thought you said you spoke German. No, I said I got the gist of it. If he was describing the animals he was seeing on a safari, I could maybe follow him. But this... But he's talking about, like, particle tunnels and chaotic duality waves and some crazy shit. I couldn't understand him even if I was fluent. The voice on the radio sighed slowly. He dropped into a low, tired whisper and said, Please, will you tell me about your world? Something in his tone sent a chill of unease into my gut. We should switch it off, I said. Samir's eyes widened. Why? He's fucking with us. So? He's doing a damn fine job of it. Samir smiled at me. I tried to smile back, but the anxiety in my stomach would not go away. Oh, man, I don't know. Something about this one just feels too weird. Samir scoffed. Come on, dude. I've never known you to walk away from a good joke. 
This is easily the most interesting conversation I've had in a while. Even if he is trolling. I say, fuck it, let's play time travelers. So we told him about our future world. We described jet planes and self-driving cars, space stations, microchips. We tried to describe a smartphone, which was difficult to do with the voice's shitty English and Zamir's shittier German. The man was fascinated by the internet, awestruck by the moon landing. He was greatly amused when he played some dubstep as an example of futuristic culture. Zamir did his best to describe VR headsets, settling on something like goggles of electricity and illusion. Through it all, the voice kept repeating, Yes, it's beautiful. So, so beautiful. Okay, I think that's enough about us, mein Freund, Zamir said. Now it's your turn. You tell us about your world. My world? There was a long silence. My world, the voice said, is very dark. So, so many bad things happening. I do not know. There was a pause and the voice trembled slightly. I, I do not know how we will escape the shadow. Uh, this guy's a brilliant improviser, all right, Zamir said. Please, my friends, the voice said. I have one question, and it is very important. I must ask you. Zamir grinned. Well, sure, man, go ahead. The voice asked something in German. Zamir frowned. Suddenly, there was a sharp sound of breaking glass. The voice cried out in terror and gasped. Nine! Nine! Other voices sounded out, angry men clamoring and shouting, a riotous crowd storming the room. There was a chaotic cacophony, glass shattering, wood splintering, footsteps running and stomping. Crazed voices shouted with rage, and there were loud wooden bangs, like furniture getting turned over. There were metallic shrieks and dull thuds, papers scattering and tearing. The hateful voices grew louder and louder. There was a tremendous crash and a woman's scream. And in silence, I turned to Samir. What the hell just happened? He blinked at the radio and shook his head. I... I don't know. Other people are in there, a lot of them. They were saying... Hund, Wutlas Hund. Worthless dog. Over and over again. I flicked the radio on and off. I twisted the dial. Static came through and nothing more. There was no sign of the voice. No sign of the chaos that just happened. Zamir and I sat in silence. 
question, I said. What did he ask you? Zamir stared at the radio. Um, he said, Can they be stopped? Too much soda again. Another insomniac night. I blinked up at the ceiling, counting the cracks in the plaster. Over and over. Over and over. Hours passed until my eyes finally began to feel heavy. Then, the deafening hiss from the radio erupted in the night. I shot up right in bed and looked at it. I flicked the power switch on and off, but the hiss didn't change. I got out of bed and yanked the plug from the wall. The hiss only grew louder. You have got to be fucking kidding me, I said. Gradually, the hiss resolved. I could hear the sound of slow, labored breathing on the other end. I grabbed the microphone and spoke into it. Look, I don't know who you are or how the fuck you're doing this, but I need you to stop. Ha ha ha, you got me, sure. But if you don't stop bothering me, I swear I'm going to call the fucking police. The sound of breathing continued. Do you understand me? I shouted. I am telling you to leave me alone. For Christ's sake, I don't care about your stupid fucking time travel act or whatever shitty YouTube channel you're doing this for. Just, just please leave me alone. The breath shuddered. He sniffed and gasped. The sound of quiet sobs. After a moment, he started speaking, softly in German. Oh my God, I told you, I can't understand you. I said, but he just spoke over me. I'm not sure he could hear me at all. His speech was slow, soft, halting. He could only choke out a few words at a time before stopping to compose himself. I listened for a moment, then I grabbed my phone and opened the voice recorder. I recorded until he was finished speaking. I kept recording as his labored breathing continued to come through for a while afterward. At last, there was a gentle click, and the radio cut to silence. I sat for a long while to make sure nothing else was coming through, and I climbed back into bed. I sent the audio file to Samir, and I texted him the story. I asked him to translate. The next day at school, he handed me a sheet of paper at lunch. He didn't say anything, he just handed it to me and walked away. On it, I read these words. My friends, I do not know if you can hear me. I do not know if you could ever hear me. Or if I was just imagining our encounter. But I do hope that you are out there. The machine is critically damaged. Perhaps with a great deal of work it could be repaired, but I... I doubt that I will have either the time or the resources necessary for such a task. There are so many 
questions that I want to ask you. So much more that I want to learn about your world. But please, know that in the brief times that we were able to speak, you give a very tired man a reason to continue living. I know now that the madness that has gripped my country cannot be stopped. I tell my son to be strong. I tell him that if our people were strong enough to survive the flight from Egypt, that we are strong enough to withstand a few grunting apes in jackboots. But he knows that I am afraid too. We are marching forward into a terrible nightmare. And I do not know when it will end. The only thing that I cling to is the fact that somehow our world will lead to yours. But in such a world, a world of such wondrous invention and progress. What use could there be for war? What reason for oppression? What tolerance for injustice? I do not know how such a world could arise from the darkness that is enveloping my time. But I can only hope that the future really is as beautiful as you have described it. I hope that you have succeeded where we have failed. I hope that you have forgotten the word for hate. of course just someone with too much time on his hands playing a big stupid joke he's probably listening to the recordings and laughing at us right now just a prank but I still keep the radio on at night I'll switch it on as I'm laying in bed Sometimes when I'm just about to drift off, I, I think that I can hear a distant voice calling out the dark. A voice from the shadows, tiny and frail, yet so full of hope. And I'll sit up in bed and listen, 
I listen for a sound, a word. I listen for anything, but I never hear more. It's just my mind playing tricks on me, I guess. I don't sleep much anymore. Probably because I drink too much soda. Right? Right. Thank you for joining me tonight at the Horror Hill. The Day Hypnotism Died was written by Kevin David Anderson. Many of Kevin David Anderson's short stories have appeared in podcasts like Pseudopod, The Drabblecast, and The Doonstief. Anderson's novel, Night of the Living Trekkies from Quirk Books, earned positive reviews in the LA Times, The Washington Post, Fangoria, and received a starred review in Publishers Weekly. Anderson is an active member of the Horror Writers Association with a BA in mass communication and 15 years of award-winning marketing experience. For more on him, please go to www.kevindavidanderson.com. The voice on the radio was written by H.K. Reyes. H.K. Reyes is a horror and science fiction writer whose work has been featured in the wildly popular Reddit No Sleep Forum, the acclaimed Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, and the award-winning No Sleep podcast. His story, Operation Stingray, was voted the best multi-part story of 2013 by the No Sleep community. Reyes is a graduate of New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, and he lives in Southeast Michigan. You can find out more about Reyes's work on his website, hkreyes.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode. And please, leave us a five-star review and a comment. 
Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. Oh, and if you could, please leave a kind word or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening.